Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Worcester Talking Newspaper, recorded at Colin Chance House on Thursday the 25th of October. I'm Jenny Tansy and with me reading the news are... Sue Perry, Janet Goodwin, Kate Hudman. Duncan Wynne is our engineer, Carol Hartle is working on administration and our copying team are Bernard and Doreen Potter and Janet Bailey. Thanks to Worcester News for all our information. The headlines this week are Mum and Daughter Fight After Funeral, <coughs> It's Snobbery, Fake Solicitor, 2.6 Million Bed Block Boost, Blackmail Over Viral Video, and Family Escape House Fire. And now I'll go on to the um, obituaries. William Gibson, known as Wall of Beaver Close, Formerly Southall Avenue, passed away on October the 12th, and there are no funeral details. Patrick Terence Wellen, known as the Gentleman Kitchen Fitter, passed away on October the 3rd, age 75. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on October the 9th at 10.45. Stanley Clift died on October the 12th, aged 86. The funeral is at Hereford Crematorium on November the 7th at 12 noon. Ethel May Dobbin, known as Effie, passed away peacefully on October the 9th, age 97. The funeral service is at St. John's Baptist Church in Clanes on October the 31st at 12.15. Phil Lamb of Droitwich passed away on October the 14th, age 67. A memorial service will be held at Wire Forest Crematorium in Stourport, on 7 on November the 9th at 12.30. Walter Bayliss, known as Wally, passed away peacefully on October the 6th, aged 83. The funeral services at Worcester Crematorium on November the 1st at 1pm. Raymond Edward Dix passed away peacefully on October the 14th, aged 81. Funeral is on November the 5th at Worcester Crematorium at 10.45. Reginald Knight, known as Jack, passed away peacefully on October the 9th, aged 84. The funeral service is at St. Peter's C of E Church in Powick on November the 1st at 2pm. Frederick Harold Sylvester of Little Acton Farm sadly passed away on October the 12th, aged 95. The funeral service is at Ombersley Church on November the 2nd at 3pm. Basilios Voyages, known as Bill, passed away at Worcester Royal Hospital on October the 9th, age 79. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on October the 30th at 2.30. Edna Kate Williams, nay Thomas, of Hillside in Markley, passed away peacefully at home on October the 8th, aged 89. The funeral service is at Wire Forest Crematorium on November the 5th at 10.30. Pete Evan passed away peacefully on October the 9th, aged 88. The funeral service is at St. Gabriel's Church in Handley Swan at 12 noon on November the 8th. James William Farley, known as Jim, passed away peacefully on October the 4th, aged 85. The funeral at Worcester Crematorium is on October the 26th at 10.45. Jane Harper passed away peacefully on October the 16th. The funeral service is is at Worcester Crematorium on October the 24th at 3.15. Pamela Ann Holland, known as Pam, passed away at Bradbury 
Court on October the 12th, age 91. The funeral service is at Lansdowne Methodist Church in Malvern on October the 29th at 12 noon. Raymond John Imberger, I think, um, and he's known, was known as Ray the Australian Vet, died unexpectedly on October the 2nd, aged 74. The private, there's a private, cremat- uh, sorry, private cremation um, and followed by a memorial service at Our Lady and St. Alphonsus in Handley Swan on October the 30th at 1.30. Sarah Ann Price died suddenly on September the 22nd, age 46. A private funeral has taken place. Grace William, nay Lampet, of Eckington, passed away on October the 12th, aged 84. The funeral service is at Eckington Church on November the 1st at 2.30, followed by the internment. And that's it. Our thoughts and prayers are with all the families. Our thought for the day is uh, Isaiah 26, verses 28 to 16. So this is what the Sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who trusts will never be dismayed. And I'll pass you now to Sue for the first headline. A mother and daughter started brawling with each other in a Worcester pub after a family funeral. Sally Raymond and her daughter Ashley Raymond pulled each other's hair during the fight at the Royal Exchange in the Corn Market in Worcester City Centre at 9pm on Friday, September 28th. Sally, aged 42, of Lowesmore, and Ashley, aged 21, of Rowan Avenue, Tolladine, appeared at Worcester Magistrates Court on Thursday last week. Roger Blizzard, prosecuting, said Sally and Ashley had been drinking at the pub when Ashley, who had been standing outside, was refused re-entry. He said the pair began arguing and fighting and that Ashley spat at bouncer Terry Clark when he pulled her away. Paul Stanley, representing Sally and Ashley, said her and her mother had been at the funeral of her great-grandmother and her mother's nan. It goes dramatically downhill. The bouncer intervenes and he is spat at by Ashley when she is dragged away by him. She, Ashley, accepts she was drinking too much, coupled with the death in the family. The mother, Sally, argued with her daughter in town. She was not happy with the amount her daughter was drinking. Mr Stanley added, she hasn't been in trouble for ten years. During the incident, bystander Amy Wadley tried to stop the Raymonds fighting. However, Wadley then assaulted PC James Rimmer by kicking him as he tried to arrest her for being drunk and disorderly. Defending 32-year-old Wadley of St Paul's Street in Worcester, Mark Shreward said, She doesn't know them. She saw them arguing with each other and went across to try to split them up. She would have done better to just walk away. Mr Shreward said the police heard Wadley shouting and arrested her and that she had struggled but did not intend to injure PC Rimmer. Wadley pleaded guilty to being drunk and disorderly and assaulting a constable in the execution of his duty. She was given an eight-week curfew between 9am and 7am. 
Must be 9pm, I think. Magistrates gave her no separate penalty for being drunk and disorderly. She was ordered to pay £50 compensation to PC Rimmer, £135 court costs and £85 victim surcharge. The court heard about a further charge for Ashley related to an incident on July the 4th at the co-op shop in Ambleside Drive, Worcester, where she spat at worker Dale Hudspeth when he queried her age. Mr Stanley added, On July the 4th, Ashley was in the Warnden area of the city at a funeral for her auntie, sister-in-law to her mother. That death and the funeral led her to go to that store that day. The court heard that Ashley, who is currently sofa surfing, suffers with anxiety and depression and was struggling with her bereavement. On sentencing Ashley, Trevor Higginbottom, chair of the bench, said, As I said to your mother, it was a sordid situation, fighting with your mother in public. He added, we take a very dim view of spitting at people. Ashley Raymond pleaded guilty on two counts of assault by beating and one count of using threatening, abusive or insulting words of behaviour. She was given a 13-month community order, 30 rehabilitation activity requirement days and 36 hours at a senior attendance centre and ordered to pay £50 compensation to both victims Terry Clark and Dale Hudspeth. Sally Raymond, who pleaded guilty to one count of using threatening, abusive or insulting words or behaviour, was fined £80, reduced from 120 for her early guilty plea. She was also ordered to pay £135 court costs and a £30 victim surcharge. No victim compensation was given, as her attacker was her daughter. Saturday, October the 20th. It's snobbery. Planning decisions smack of classism, says Chairman. A decision to reject a new KFC but accept a bar and restaurant in the same area of the city centre has been branded as snobbery by a council chief. Councillor Chris Mitchell, chairman of the City Council's Planning Committee, said the decision to reject the popular fast food restaurant from taking over a building in the Cross but allow a new bar and restaurant in Forgate smoked of classism. He said, I genuinely struggled to understand why a KFC is immediately rejected but a restaurant 30 yards the other way is welcomed. All I see is a massive lack of inconsistency. The new restaurant will actually be serving alcohol. People who have been in a restaurant drinking alcohol are apparently less likely to cause trouble than somebody who has hopped into KFC for a chicken burger. KFC is a restaurant too. The fact that you may not be using a knife and fork doesn't mean it's not a restaurant. A decision on the KFC was made at Thursday's planning meeting after it was delayed for a month to allow councillors to visit the city centre at night. Councillors rejected the plan by six votes to four. At the same meeting, councillors backed the new restaurant and bar in Forgate unanimously. It was set in a Grade 2 listed building on the corner of Forgate and Sansom Street and will be run by two crafty brewers, which also own the lamb and flag in the tithing. The building was previously occupied by individual tailoring and has lain empty for more than 18 months. 
The ground floor will have a bar and space for around 50 covers to serve food and snacks, including room for 20 people outside in the hot market courtyard. A further 56 covers would be fitted in a sit-down basement restaurant. Following objections from neighbours over noise, tables and chairs from the outdoor seating area would have to be removed by 6pm and not put out on Sundays and bank holidays. Visitors to the restaurants would also not be able to smoke in the courtyard. The KFC application was already marked for rejection by City Council planners on the grounds that it breached an objective in the South Worcestershire Development Plan to create and sustain a vibrant city centre coupled with fears it would increase crime and antisocial behaviour in an area already burned with high levels of disorder. West Mercia Police shared major concerns over the KFC calling it a recipe for disaster due to its location in a high crime area but had no problems with the restaurant in Forgate and supported the application. Public health bosses at Worcestershire County Council were also apprehensive of the KFC and said another takeaway in an area crammed with fast food outlets would intensify obesity problems in the city and cause more disruption in a part of the city centre riddled with crime and bad behaviour. A medical practices data protection officer has been warned to stop falsifying, falsely claiming to be a qualified solicitor or he could face prison. Paul Caldry became DPO for Seven Valley Medical Practice earlier this year but has been told by the Solicitors Regulatory Authority or SRA to take remedial steps or he could face two years in prison. On a number of occasions, including on his personal blog and in emails, Mr Caldry has referred to himself as a qualified solicitor, though according to SRA he has now admitted he has no such qualifications. South Worcestershire Healthcare, which oversees over 30 practices including Seven Valley, recommended Mr Caldry for the advisory role. In a redacted CV from July, it states he has held similar roles for several primary care trusts, as well as West Midlands Police, as IT Security Manager and DPA Legal Advisor. A DPO ensures that an organisation processes the personal data of its staff, customers, providers or any other individuals in compliance with the applicable data, protect, applicable data protection rules. In literature produced by the SWH, it states, Paul is a qualified solicitor, which he even spoke to, what well, he even spoke to at a conference for a health event in November 2017 and was listed in the programme notes as a trained solicitor. Andrew Brown, a former patient at Seven Valley, which has surgeries in Henrik Holt and Lippard Grange, alerted SRA to his suspicions following a dispute over access to personal data. In an email from Mr Caldry to Mr Brown on July the 12th, seen by the Worcester News, he said he was a qualified solicitor many years ago. In an email to Mr Brown on September the 13th, also seen by the Worcester News, SRA Investigation Officer Philip Samage said Mr Caldry was warned that pretending to be a solicitor is a criminal offence. He said it is liable on conviction on indictment to imprisonment for not more than two years or to a fine 
or both under Section 20 of the Solicitors Act 1974. In the email, Mr Sage went on to say Mr Caudry acknowledged he misled and would take action to amend or remove any misleading publicity and would clarify the position with those he engages with. He added, I consider warning Mr Cowdery, as I have done so, is sufficient deterrent for such repeated behaviour. Should it come to light that my warning was ignored and the recommended steps not taken, we will consider criminal proceedings. In an email to Mr Brown on September the 18th, Mr Sage said that as Mr Caudry is not SRA regulated, it is not possible for him to have breached the organisation's rules, however. In the same email, he confirmed Mr Caudry admitted to having pretended to be a solicitor, including in an email to Mr Brown, which is a criminal offence. Mr Brown said, I consider my former practice was misled by the material they had about his service, claiming him to be a solicitor. It would be appropriate to expect them to take a robust view and not see it as trivial. Perhaps the members and perhaps their patients might now take a view on whether they want the responsible data protection advisory role performed by someone who is not the lawyer they claim to be, even if he does represent an economically attractive option. Claire Gould, Chief Executive for SW Healthcare, said, Following the introduction of new GDPR regulations this year, our practices felt that it would be useful to identify a service which could support them with queries about information governance. She said, Mr Caldry runs a business called PCIG Consulting. He has a degree in law and a master's degree in information law, and his roles both with the police and in healthcare have always been associated with information governance. We consider him to be an expert in his field. Those practices that have signed a contract with PCIG Consulting and have used Paul's services are very impressed with the help and advice that, he have, that they have received. She added that being a qualified solicitor is not a requirement for becoming a DPO. An SRA spokesman said, We are investigating before we decide on any next steps. South Worcestershire CCG and Paul Caudry could not, did not wish to comment when contacted by the Worcester News. Seven Valley Medical Practice was unavailable to comment. And the headline for Tuesday, October the 23rd is £2.6 million bed block boost. Worcestershire will receive £2.3 million from the government to help get people out of hospital and fight bed blocking during the winter. 2,384,625 pounds is being made available as part of a wider 240 million pound program announced by the Secretary of State for Health and Social Care Matt Hancock earlier this month to help local authorities free up hospital beds and get patients home quicker across England. Bed blocking refers to patients who have been treated but cannot be discharged from hospital. This causes a great deal of pressure for local NHS services, particularly in winter. The government claimed this money can be spent on home care packages to get patients home quicker, reablement packages to help patients regain mobil mobility and help with everyday tasks and home adaptations, including adapting shower rooms if patients suffer from mobility issues. 
John Smith, Worcestershire County Council Cabinet Minister, with responsibilities for health and well-being, said, Any money that we can get is welcome. As I'm sure you're aware, we do struggle for money in this kind of care, and anything we can get is a great help. We also monitor patients and need to make sure they can come out of hospital as soon as possible. People recover better in their homes, so we will work to make sure that patients can get the best quality health care they can. The West Midlands, on the whole, is receiving £26,781,361 in total as part of the investment, Health and Social Care Minister Matt Hancock said. I want to help the NHS through this winter. I have already provided funding for hospitals to make upgrades to their buildings to deal with pressures this winter and I'm making an extra £240 million available to councils to pay for social care packages this winter to support our NHS. We will use this money to help people who don't need to be in hospital but do need care to get back home into their communities so we can then free up those vital hospital beds and help more people get the hospital care they need. A total of £240 million has been made available by the government, with the West Midlands receiving the third highest amount of the nine regions given the funding. Councillors have been allocated funds based on the Adult Social Care Relative Needs formula. Worcester News reached out to Health Watch Worcestershire, but they were unavailable for comment. This is the headline from Wednesday, October the 24th. A restaurant manager claims he has been a target of a blackmail attempt over a video filmed inside his business. A man named Jim Janes was hired by Grill and Flames in Fourgate Street, Worcester, to remove all the scrap metal from the cellar on Monday, October the 22nd, as the restaurant is being refurbished. During the removal process, Mr Janes posted a video on Facebook of the inside of Grill and Flames to suggest that the restaurant is unhygienic. However, Pramod Tiranung Agri, chef and manager of uh, the Grill and Flames, told the Worcester News, One of our customers informed us that there is a video on Facebook. I asked Jim why he had posted the video and all he replied was that he wants a £1,000 otherwise he'll go to the Worcester News with the video although the video was all over Facebook. He kept telling me he will delete the video if I send him the money in cash immediately. I thought, why should I give him any money? We haven't made any mistakes here or done anything wrong. I wasn't afraid of his blackmail. Mr Tiranagri claims Mr Janes has continued to ask him for money through text messages which he has shown to the Worcester News. Neil Stroud, front of house manager at Grill and Flames, admitted that the back of the building is not as tidy as they would like it to be, but he insisted that food and drink products are not kept near the cellar and its purpose was for general storage only. Below there are videos of Mr Stroud doing a tour around the building and explaining the works of Grill and Flames. Mr Stroud added, My first initial reaction was that someone had robbed the restaurant and posted a video on Facebook, so I rushed down here while Pramod told me he was in the removal van. We are working on refurbishing Grill and Flames. The cellar is phase one of the development. Jim's job was to pick up the scrap, which was part one of our clean-up process, 
we have been planning to do for a while. The reason we hired Jim was for him to clean up down there, so of course it was a mess. The restaurant is closed on Mondays, so the video shows the kitchen after a Sunday evening. Our pre-clean is done each morning that we are open before the chefs start cooking. As for the dirty stairs on the video, no one would have been down there, so the dirt that was left on the staircase was from Jim and his removal team traipsing in and out. The video is portraying the restaurant in the process of it being worked on. We want to get it all cleaned up. We do not use that cellar anymore. It has all been locked up and sealed off from outside. However, speaking to the Worcester News, Mr Jaynes denied that he hadn't tried to blackmail the restaurant. That isn't true at all, he said. They rang me and they offered me a thousand pounds. Mr Tyrone Agri said he is keen for an environmental health officer to inspect the restaurant to see the hygiene standards. A Worcestershire regulatory service spokesman said, We are aware of this video and we will be inspecting the premises this week. Grill and Flames was awarded a food hygiene rating of 4 out of 5, which is good, by Worcester City Council on March 28 this year. Once the Environmental Health Officer has inspected the restaurant, Mr Tiranagri will contact the police and report Mr Jaynes for blackmail, he told the Worcester News. Grill and Flames posted on Facebook in response to the video, We have seen the video in question and the guy who shot the video was carrying out a removal of all scrap left by the old management. He was part one of our improvements. The area you see in the video is the bin area and the cellar. The area beside the toilets is used to store dry foods, spices etc and the shutter is normally closed. The kitchen was closed on Monday and ready for a pre-clean on Tuesday before we began cooking. This man was trying to blackmail us for £1,000. We prefer to apologise and show you ongoing improvements that bow down than bow down to such horrible tactics. Thursday, October the 25th. Family escape house fire. A family narrowly escaped a terrifying fire which seriously damaged their city home. Tinta Sebastian's two boys were lucky to be downstairs when the fire erupted in their bedroom in Norwich Road, Worcester. Their mum spotted the flames in the house and rushed her children out of the home at about 9.24pm. Mrs Sebastian said, The children were watching television and I was reading a book. The alarm went off and I went upstairs and saw the smoke. I opened the bedroom door and saw fire on the corner of the bed. When I saw the flames, I was scared. I ran downstairs, grabbed my children, came outside and called the fire brigade. Mrs Sebastian, aged 44, thinks the blaze was caused by a portable heater that was plugged into an extension cable in the bedroom. Hereford and Worcester Fire and Rescue Service said the extension cable was the probable cause. The fire caused serious damage on the first floor of the house, destroying the bedroom floor, window, radiator and walls. The mother added that she could not sleep on Tuesday night because of the ordeal. She said her children, aged 12 and 9, were also terrified after the fire, although they still went to school yesterday morning. The family who have lived at the property since March are now without a home because of the damage caused by the blaze. They slept in a neighbour's house on Tuesday night and are now appealing for people to help them clean up the property.
Three Worcestershire fire crews were sent to the smoke-logged home on Tuesday, with the first firefighters arriving within minutes of being called. They used two hose reels to put the fire out, as well as, a con- as controlling it with ventilation. Firefighters also used breathing apparatus and a thermal imaging camera to tackle the blaze. Neighbour Gwen Hughes, aged 66, said, I feel bad for the family. It's close to Christmas and they have lost everything. We had a fire years ago and lost all the kids' Christmas presents. We are tidying up now, getting rid of anything flammable. Last night brought home the danger that we are in. Mrs Hughes said she offered to make cups of tea for the firefighters outside her home on Tuesday. Anyone who is willing to help the family can email their landlord, Ambili Sundanan, on ambilisundanan at gmail.com. A care home in Worcester has been dubbed outstanding by the Care Quality Commission. Perry Manor in Charles Hastings Way was rated outstanding for its responsiveness and leadership with good ratings for safety, effectiveness and care. Inspectors commented on the philosophy of the home and how it focuses on supporting residents to live the lives they choose. On its previous inspection in February 2016, the home was rated good. At the latest inspection held over the summer, the CQC noted significant developments which had led to improvements. People were supported to retain an active presence in the local community and to maintain their personal interests and hobbies. There was a rich programme of things for people to do for fun and interest for people to choose to take part in. People's own talents were celebrated and people were supported to have lead roles in sharing their talents and interests with other people, says the report. The management and staff team had a passion to undertake outreach work in the local community to promote greater awareness and understanding of the needs of people living with dementia. Staff also shared their knowledge in different subject areas with people and their families. Manager Catherine Matthews said, I'm over the moon that the CQC's inspectors have rated us outstanding. The team strives to create the very best caring and supportive atmosphere for the residents here. It's brilliant to have our hard work recognised by the National Care Regulator. I'm incredibly proud of the team and our outstanding rating just shows the dedication and commitment every one of them has to to make to Perry Manor, a fantastic place to live. I would like to say thank you for their hard work, something which I know is echoed by the residents and their families here at the home. The Worcestershire and Shearwood Foresters Regimental Association will host a ceremony at the Regimental Stone in Gulliford Park to mark the anniversary of the Battle of Gelivet. The ceremony on Wednesday, October the 31st at 10.45am also celebrates the park's inclusion in the Fields in Trust Centenary Legacy Programme. The programme was launched in 2014 for champion green spaces and war memorials and to honour the millions who contributed to the war effort a century ago. The park managed by Worcester City Council commemorates the Worcester Regiment's victory and remembers the 400 soldiers who fought and the 187 who were killed or wounded that day. Members of the association will hold a short wreath-laying ceremony in the park 
with standards and bugle. The association will also be in the park at 11.30 on Sunday, October the 28th for their annual commemorative service of the Battle of Gulliver. Councillor James Stanley said, The City Council is delighted to demonstrate our gratitude to the World War I generation by participating in the Legacy Programme. A watchdog boss is outraged that NHS staff paid almost £700,000 in parking fees and fines at the county's hospitals last year. It has emerged that the body in charge of Worcestershire's hospitals made £692,780 from the charges in the year up to March. Peter Pinfield, chairman of Health Watch Worcestershire, thinks the fines are unfair as they penalise employees who go above and beyond the call of duty. However, Worcestershire Acute Hospitals NHS Trust said fines are only handed out to cars parked without a ticket, permit or in restricted areas. Hospital bosses also said the majority of staff parking income comes from monthly payments, not fines. Mr Pinfield said, it's outrageous, you shouldn't face a fine for working over. We are not going to get a free parking policy in the country or in Worcestershire, but we could make the system more tolerant to staff and certainly not fine them if they overstay. How would you feel if you had to go to work on that basis? It's one of those policies that will backfire on the NHS and the Trust. Our health service depends on goodwill and extra effort by qualified staff. Mr Pinfield said staff could feel like the fees and fines are a form of punishment. He believes that employees can appeal the fines, although he questioned why they were being penalised in the first place. The chairman added that there are a number of limited um, permits for senior staff members. NHS trusts across England made almost 70 million from staff parking charges between March 2017 and the same month this year. Sarah Carpenter, National Officer for Health at Unite, said it is a scandal that NHS trusts in England have pocketed nearly 70 million pounds from staff car parking charges. Such a large figure will take a large chunk out of the gains in the current NHS pay package, which saw most staff get a pay rise of 6.5% over the next three years. This pernicious trend is replicated by financially squeezed trusts across England. Our members are being used, to, as, a, are being used as an extra income stream for these trusts. We would like a situation where dedicated NHS staff who don't earn a fortune don't have to pay to park their cars to go to work to look after the sick, the vulnerable and the injured 365 days a year. A spokesman for Worcestershire Acute Hospitals Trust said that if employees have a permit they can use the staff car park for as long as they want. Saturday, October the 20th. Library future unclear. The future of some libraries in the city is in doubt after ranking low on a review of need by the County Council. St John's and Maunden libraries ranked in the bottom seven in an assessment of Worcestershire's 23 libraries by the County Council and both could see big changes or even closure. In the report, 
the options for St John's Library include reducing opening hours or switching to an open, unstaffed library, which means finding and checking out books would become completely self-service and would also allow for the library to stay open longer. The library facilities could also be shared with other council services or businesses. On the opposite end of the scale, libraries in Evesham and Morven, as well as the Hive in Worcester, were deemed to be of the greatest need. Members of the County Council's Cabinet approved a 90-day public consultation at a meeting on Thursday, October the 18th. The consultation will look at how close libraries are to each other, which district council or community groups could run the library, and look at how many people are visiting the library and what they do when they visit. A final decision on the structure of the county's libraries will most likely be made in spring 2019. The council needs to save £1 million by the end of the financial year in 2021. Library users were told lose it or use it by the council earlier this month, but it said it would only close libraries as a very last resort. Councillor Lucy Hodgson, Cabinet Member for Committees, said no change is not an option. The owners of a cafe next to the River Severn have said they will miss their loyal customers as they prepare for their final weekend. Cafe Seven on the Quay, on the Quay owner Chris Wise and partner Mandy Thomas, 58, who live in Dyons Green, will close the doors at noon on Sunday, bringing to an end eight years running the popular Riverside Cafe. Throughout that time, Mr Wise has juggled running the cafe with his other part-time job working as a janitor at the Worcester News. Mr Wise said having earned a bit of money during this year's hot summer, it was a good time to finish, so decided not to renew the lease which finished this month. Mr Wise said we originally fell into running it by accident. Mandy has been here 12 years and worked with the previous owner, Tina Dodd. When she stopped, we took it on. I didn't have an ambition to open a shop or cafe. My dad had worked in the pub trade. Mr Wise said he had got to know the regulars during this time at the helm and had many chats about the heritage of the site. There is so much history at this site, it's fascinating, he said. The railway line once used to run here and this building was originally built in the 1970s as an ice cream parlour. The 61-year-old, born and bred in Worcester, said it will be sad to close the doors for a final time and hand the keys back to Worcester City Council. It will be sad not to see the regulars who have become friends, he said. We just want to say thanks to all the customers for their support over all the years. It has been a real community social hub. The council has been offering the building on a three-year lease to a new tenant. The site falls within one of the new areas remarked for development in the city centre master plan. The creators behind Wallace and Gromit are coming to the city for some family fun. Creators from Ardman Animation, which also produces Shaun the Sheep, will be in Worcester as part of the weekend of family events during half term. The University of Worcester Storytelling Festival for Children's first dedicated family weekend runs at the Hive and at the neighbouring University City campus on Saturday, October the 27th and Sunday, October the 28th. Families can take part in model-making workshops with Ardman Animation, just one of the activities on offer to the community. Other events include 
Indigo Moon Theatre's new take on Arabian Nights' Tale, Aladdin through large-scale shadow puppetry, storyteller, people ch- uh, people, sorry, storyteller Peter Chard will be combining his Punjabi and English roots to tell his tales, and Welsh storyteller Daniel Morden recounting tales from around the world, including Greek myth. Anne Hannaford, Director of Arts and Culture at the University, said, The programme has some great events for families over the half-term weekend, creative and fun at the same time. Amongst those taking part in Beeline are also Catherine Roundell, whose recent book, The Explorer, earned her the prestigious Costa Children's Book Prize. Stephen Cole, behind the Astrosaurs children's book, the children's poet, Pauline Stewart, renowned storyteller to feature are Peter Chard, Daniel Morden, Ben Haggerty, Kat Wetherill, Amy Douglas, Sally Tong and Michael Kerrins. Martin Brown, cartoonist, illustrator behind the successful Horrible Histories series, will be sharing his drawings with the children. The weekend is part of the two-week-long annual festival, also known as Beeline. For more details or to book tickets for any of the events in the family weekend, visit worcester.ac.uk Beeline. Plans for a new KFC in the city centre have been rejected. A decision to open the fast food restaurant in an empty building in the Cross, Worcestershire, was put on hold during last month's City Council Planning Committee to allow councillors to see the city centre at night. Councillor Stuart Denley-Maxwell visited the Cross late at night several times and said he saw nothing that would make him change his mind and the council should be encouraging businesses to invest. He said KFC is not a fly-by group. They invest. This is how we design out crime by improving the area. We need to encourage businesses who are experienced and are prepared to invest. This is a business that is prepared to invest. A spokesman for KFC said he was disappointed the proposal had been marked for rejection and said a new restaurant would enhance the area. He said no conclusive evidence had been put forward to say a new KFC would have a detrimental effect on the area and there was no valid reason to object to the proposal. Councillor Chris Mitchell, chairman of the City Council's Um, planning committee listed a number of positives in the application including the creation of 40 jobs 24-hour cctv in a crime hotspot as well as filling an empty unit in the city center councillor louis stephen rubbished the argument argument that one more fast food restaurant would not make a difference and said a new kfc would make things worse The planning report showed many concerns over crime and antisocial behaviour in a part of the city centre already suffering from a high level of disorder. Objections were also made by West Mercia police who called it a recipe for disaster, as well as neighbours, taxi drivers and the county's public health bosses. Public Health said another fast food restaurant in the Cross would make more problems for an area already heavily concentrated with takeaways. Councillor Chris Cawthorn said it would be disgraceful for the council to overturn its own planning policies. The application was rejected by six votes to four. 
Thursday, October the 25th. Beer tax will kill pubs. A landlord has warned the pub industry could die on its feet if prices go up next week. The price of a pint of beer looks to set, set to go up when the Chancellor, Philip Hammond, makes his autumn statement on Monday. The so-called beer tax is expected to rise by 3.4%. Tim Churchman, landlord of the bridge at Tiberton near Worcester, said this could mean, in real terms, a price increase of up to 10 pence a pint, saying it will make a big difference. The British pub industry is in danger of dying on its feet, and this will force customers away. The reality is people would rather buy their beer in the supermarket and have a party at home than go to the pub as it's cheaper, and that is a real problem. It is a shame this is happening now, as this is the time of year when you want people coming into your pub for a drink. It's lovely to have the fire going, and it is really nice atmosphere, but you need the people. There are fears the tax rise could drive customers away from pubs and towards cheaper supermarket options. According to new research by Oxford Econom- Econ- Econic- Economics, sorry, <laughs> Worcester's 87 pubs and bars employ 1,063 people directly, paying £10 million in wages. They also support another 430 jobs and £8.1 million in wages indirectly, either through related jobs, like those in the supply chain, or through the money spent by people working in the pub industry. The analysis also shows that the local pub, brewery and beer trade in Worcestershire adds £48 million to the local economy. In total, though, salaries and spending power, the area's pubs can contribute £44 million to the local and national economy, the analysis shows. David Cunningham, Programme Director of Britain's Beer Alliance, warned a rise in beer tax could have a devastating effect on local communities. He said pubs already face a range of tax pressures and if the Chancellor raises beer duty in line with the retail price index inflation as planned on October 29th, pubs will feel the pinch even more. Based on current closure rates, we estimate that within five years, more than one in ten pubs in the UK will have closed down for good. It's not up at the moment, but it's that thing. And now for some sports items that you might find interesting. Worcester Warriors boss Alan Solomons is in favour of guaranteed breaks for players during the campaign as part of a shake-up to the Premiership structure. Next season will kick off on September the 21st with the Premiership Rugby Club before league action begins on October the 20th and ends on June the 20th with the final at Twickenham. The 2020-21 and 2021-22 campaigns will then start on September the 12th and 18th and finish on June the 26th and 18th, respectively. England's summer tours will take place in July rather than June to leave August as the only month clear of rugby, either being played on these shores or by Eddie Jones' men overseas. On two of the four years, however, the Worcester, the World Club and British and Irish Lions tours mean internationals will also be scheduled in August, resulting in seasons spanning 12 calendar months.
Therefore, England internationals will play a maximum of 34 games per season, reduced from 32, and be confined to a limit of 35 match involvements of 20 minutes or more. Other key alterations revealed include in-season breaks for players and a mandatory five-week post-season rest for all players. Solomon said he had not thoroughly studied the details of the changes set out by the Rugby Football Union, Premiership Rugby and the Rugby Players Association, but he welcomed the move, insisting player welfare was paramount. I am in favour of making sure that the players are properly looked after, Solomon said. We have just done it ourselves. There was a block of six Premiership games which was pretty heavy and we have given guys some time off. We have also just given the non-playing squad some time off. I think you need it both mentally and physically, so I am in favour of managing a player's game time carefully. Solomon said he had always been wary of overplaying players and was keen to ensure they were regularly rested throughout the season. There are a lot of games, so you have got to manage it, he continued, but we try to manage our squad well in terms of our rotation as we rotated for those first two European games. We are rotating for our next two games and then we will look at it going forward. We are well aware of that and make sure that our players are rested. Mark McCaffrey, Chief Executive of Premiership Rugby, said the professional game continues to develop quickly. We've worked extremely hard with the RPA and RFU over the last 18 months since San Francisco to achieve a number of progressive goals for the English structure over the next three seasons, building in new player management approaches, reducing overlaps and scheduling more of Gallagher Premiership Rugby for the better weather conditions of spring and early summer. Warriors are poised to receive a clear indication on the extent of fly-half Jono Lance's back issue today. Lance was forced to miss Warriors' 27-21 victory over Ospreys in the European Challenge Cup on Saturday due to the injury sustained late last week. Solomons was unsure how long the 28-year-old would be out until the Australian playmaker saw a specialist today. We will get a clear indication today on how he is, Solomon said. Obviously, we weren't going to play him against Ospreys and take a risk with him. So let's see where he is at and then we can go from there. Solomons was pleased to see Jamie Shilcock make his first start of the season as he notched 17 points in the triumph over Ospreys. Shilly is up and running, so that's good. And Duncey, Duncan Weir, is around as well, Solomons continued. Jono has a back issue, so we have to have got to wait and see what the specialist says. So I don't want to preempt anything. I am not a doctor. Worcestershire FA is set to purchase Clane's Lane, provided a proposed revamp gets the green light from planners. The county association currently leases and manages the council-owned site. But, the, but has secured the right to buy and plans to install floodlights, a 3G pitch and new changing office facilities. The proposed project is set to be funded by Worcestershire FA, partly through the sale of the leasehold of its current headquarters with grants to be sought from the FA Sport England and Football Foundation. County Chief Executive Nicola Trigg 
extolled the virtues of sprucing up the facilities, having employees on hand and a central location for the football in the area. It's an exciting opportunity and would give us a football home, said Trigg. It is central in the area for which we are responsible and an opportunity the county needs. Given that it's already a sports ground that has been significantly underinvested in for quite valid reasons, it seems ideal to reinvigorate the site. There's no floodlit pitch in the vicinity. It won't be used that often, but it will give an alternative when required, which isn't the case at the moment. There are a number of environmentally friendly features in the plans because we don't want to lose the vista. We want it to look welcoming and attractive while being sympathetic to the surroundings. We hope to get support from locals and particularly the councillors for us to bring in this investment that the area wouldn't necessarily get otherwise. We want to improve a facility that is already there. The only new part would be the offices, and with us having our small number of staff there, it makes the site more secure. I hope the application will be looked upon favourably. Trigg added the GP, sorry, the 3G pitch would address an identified need in line with the playing pitch strategy put in place by Football Foundations and Sport England. Subject to planning being granted in the time frame we're hoping for, we would close sorry, we would close in the middle of May 2019 with the site reopening early in the 2019-20 season, Trigg added. We would work with the local leagues and clubs involved to make sure teams get away fixtures until we reopen. Sorry, get a, get away fixtures until we reopen. It will be a tight timescale, but the priority will be to get football up and running with the right changing facilities. Trigg also confirmed there had been no discussions with Worcester City over using Clains Lane as a new home. She added, they make inquiries probably several years ago now, but it was dismissed as an unsuitable site for them. Ours is a much smaller operation. We're not talking about teams with massive followings. It's predominantly for grassroots, including Sunday, women's and youth teams. The clubs current, currently there have been very loyal to the site, and we would look to retain those going forward. Ethically, it's the right thing to do. And this is another Worcester Warriors story, um, but it's mainly about um, Jamie Shilcock. Uh, fit again fly half Jamie Shilcock reckons versatility will be the key to his hopes of securing a place in Worcester Warriors' side this season. Shilcock was Warriors' first choice number 10 for much of last term, but has slipped down the pecking order following the arrival of Duncan Weir and John O'Lance this summer. The 21-year-old acknowledges the task that lies ahead of him to win the battle for the standoff slot, but admits he is willing to switch to full-back. The academy graduate rose to prominence in the 2016-17 um, campaign with impressive performances in the number 15 jersey and played in that position against Hartbury in pre-season. I do enjoy full-back, Shilcock said. The two roles are slightly different. At 15 you get a bit more freedom to run, get that outside break and use some pace, whereas at number 10 it is a bit more controlled. I don't mind playing either and I quite like having that ability to do both because it gives the team more options as well. 
Being able to be versatile is really important, especially with the way the guys are going at the moment. I want to offer as much as I can in order to get into the team or on the bench. I will work hard wherever they put me. Shilcock stepped up his preparations ahead of this season, only to suffer a knee injury that required surgery in early September and forced him to miss the opening six games. But the former Warwick school student is back on the field and determined to push his case for more appearances for Warriors. I had worked incredibly hard in the off-season and pre-season to get myself fit and raring to go, especially with the extra competition. So to get that injury was very annoying, Shilcock said. I tore a bit of lateral meniscus that needed to come out as it was causing me a lot of trouble. I was supposed to be out for six to eight weeks and I came back in five and a half weeks, which was very nice. Hopefully I have had my one knee op for the season and I will be ready to go again. Scotland International Weir, 27, has started in five of Warriors' first six Premiership clashes, playing a key role in their victories over Leicester Tigers and Bristol Bears. Lance, 28, stepped into Weir's shoes at Exeter Chiefs and fired Worcester to a 38, sorry, 37-38 triumph at Stade Francaise in the European Challenge Cup. With Weir rested and Lance ruled out with a back problem, Shilcock grasped his opportunity to on Saturday as he racked up 17 points in Warriors' 27-21 win over Ospreys at six ways. He scored the opening try and landed three conversions before dispatching two crucial penalties in the second half. There was a little bit of pressure, but nothing too major, said Shilcock on his last-minute penalty to seal victory. That's why I kick. Obviously, Dunk and Jono have been kicking really well too. If I can try to get up there as well, then that will push my case. A host of Worcester Warriors stars are set to run out under the lights at Six Ways tomorrow night when they face Sail Sharks in the Premiership Cup, 7.45pm. Springbok scrum half Francois Hougard, Welsh wing Joss Adams and Kiwi flyer Bryce Heem are all expected to feature after being given 10 days off to recharge their batteries. The newly formed Premiership Cup, which has replaced the Anglo-Welsh Cup, will be viewed by most, most clubs as an opportunity to blood youngsters. But having rested many of their first team regulars for the opening two European Challenge Cup fixtures, fixtures <laughs> director of rugby Alan Solomons is keen to give his key men vital game time before Premiership action returns on November the 17th at Bath. As well as for sale, Solomons is also likely to field a strong side for the following weekend's trip to Leicester Tigers before ringing the changes for their cup clash at Saracens on November the 11th. After the block of six Premiership games, the guys who's predominantly started in those were, in those were given a 10-day break, Solomons said. Those lads came back last Thursday and they obviously need some game time. A lot of the lads who have been playing in the last two European games have been given five days off, which will be good for them. Solomon's kept with largely the same side for the first six weeks of the season, which saw Warriors beat Leicester Tigers and Bristol Bears. They needed a break 
particularly mentally, so they could recharge their batteries, he continued. Now they need to get back playing, and tomorrow night we'll present that opportunity, as will the following Saturday at Leicester Tigers. The last game of this Premiership Cup block is on a Sunday at Saracens, which then gives you a six-day turnaround before the trip to Bath. That's never ideal, so these next two games are vital for players to get game time. Solomons was tight-lipped when asked who could figure against Sale, but he insisted he would not risk any knocks. We will assess how everyone has gone at the end of training and speak to the medical and conditioning staff before we make a decision, Solomons said. I don't want to be premature in saying this chap is struggling or not. I would rather just deal with it properly and then we will announce our team. You will understand that anyone not playing is carrying a niggle and therefore we have decided not to play them. Sale director of rugby Steve Diamond said a lot of younger players would start along with the one or two of the senior lads. Solomon added each club will have a strategy. When we have had the chance, we have used the rotation system to ensure that players get rest and players get opportunities. We have seen lads get opportunities in these two European Challenge Cup games, which was a high level. In the second half of at Stade Francais, that was pretty much their starting 15 on the field, so that's great exposure for the boys. Now, seagulls. Drones, high-tech bins and rubber eggs could all be part of the worst sci-fi novel ever dedicated to paper, but they are in fact some of the methods used by the council in its long-lasting duel to rid the city of our feathery neighbours. At a meeting this week, councillors agreed to double the amount spent on combating the gold problem to £30,000, extra money that is said to be needed to truly take the fight to the goals. First and foremost, the money will pay for a new staff member to ensure the council is doing all it can to keep gull numbers down. The number of eggs replaced up and replaced up, and to make sure city centre roofs are clear of nests. The question is, will it be money well spent? Many would argue this. The gulls are a menace, they're stealing our sandwiches and the council should be doing all it can to stop them. But some might say the behaviour of our friends in the sky might not be as thuggish as we are led to believe. Do they really warrant a 30,000 blitzrig? At least it might stop Alan Amos from shooting them from the guild hall roof. <laughs> a mother has urged parents to be vigilant after a man tried to abduct her 11-year-old son. The suspect attempted to lure the boy into his van outside Lord's Bank in New Road, St John's, Worcester, at around 4pm on Monday. Simone Holder said her boy was waiting at a bus stop in his school uniform when a driver described as white and aged between 35 and 45 parked next to him and waved for him to get in the vehicle. She said the man followed her son when he walked away, although her boy managed to eventually lose him. Duty Inspector David Izanga said, Thankfully the boy wasn't taken, but it sounds like there was an attempt. We are investigating. Anyone with information can ring police on 101, quoting the incident number 545 or October 22nd. 
Worcester's um, giraffes are on the move again and a business owner has promised to help them to their new homes. Warren Leggett, owner at Warren's Removals and Storage, said he'd been approached by several of the new owners of the Worcester Stand's tall giraffes for help. He has agreed to deliver them and promised to donate the money to St Richard's Hospice. Mr Leggett posted his pledge on Facebook saying, So the word on the street is I'm now a giraffe specialist. Seemed to make its way round that I am the main company to deliver these iconic pieces of art. Pricing? Always tricky, especially as I'm not exactly used to pricing the delivery of a giraffe. I have staff to pay, vehicles to run, insurance. However, I've come up with a plan and it seems to be a good one. After yesterday's two deliveries, we now have another eight to deliver. Crazy how many phone calls I've had today about giraffes. Each giraffe we deliver will cost £100. Every penny of that will go back to St Richard's Hospice, raising even more money for this wonderful charity, the removal company that keeps on giving. Remember, Warren's removals are here to make the city a happier place. Mr Leggett is hoping to deliver between 12 and 15 giraffes to the owners and is aiming to raise an extra £1,000 for the charity. He added, the hospice means a lot to me. I think it links to everyone directly in one way or another. I didn't offer to do this as a moneymaker. It was purely to give something back to the charity that does so much. I've felt a bit like Justin Bieber since I put this post on Facebook. My phone has been ringing non-stop. Everyone is wanting me to deliver their giraffes. I have already delivered three giraffes today. I have enjoyed learning all about them. There is a deeper meaning behind each sculpture and the artists who designed them. So much effort was put into the giraffes. It's nice to see they have gone, uh, have got sold by people who will be able to appreciate the artist's work. A statement by Worcester Stands Tall thanked Mr Leggett for his charitable work and said, We are blown away by the support and generosity from Warren Leggett and his team who have become giraffe delivery experts, taking on our sculptures to their uh, forever homes and donating the fee to St Richard's Hospice. Thank you. Another business that has enjoyed the giraffes is LFW Windows Limited in Worcester, which bought one for its showroom. After careful manoeuvring, the Windows and Doors Company managed to transport the eight-foot giraffe. Lee Freeman, the company's managing director, said he felt the design, which heavily features doors and windows, was ideal for the setting and said they were over the moon to secure the giraffe. Mr Freeman posted on Facebook, How do you get a giraffe into a showroom? With a photo of the giraffe in front of the showroom's doors. He late, Later he posted a photo of the giraffe taking pride of place in the middle of the showroom, revealing that there was just five millimetres between the top of the giraffe and the ceiling. 31 giraffes were sold at the Worcester Stands Tall Auction on Thursday, October the 11th. The money will go to St Richard's Hospice Build 2020 Appeal, which hopes to raise the final £1.4 million for a £5.3 million expansion and redevelopment to support more patients and families in Worcestershire. A distraught mother of a missing young man who was last seen in Worcestershire has made a heartfelt plea for him to make contact. 
Karen Bone is also appealing for information on her son Matthew's whereabouts. He was last seen leaving Stanbrook Abbey in Callow End on the morning of Friday, March the 9th. The family believe Matthew, known as Matt, is still in the county. The 56-year-old project manager said, It is very hard not knowing what has happened. They call it ambiguous loss, where you lose someone but you don't know what happened to them. It is a horrible thing to cope with for the whole family. The reason we think that he is in Worcestershire is that it's a rural area. If he had planned to disappear, going somewhere remote would be an option. It is a tenuous link. He loved being close to nature. It seems to fit the bill. He enjoyed being outside with nature and he had a keen interest in the environment. Matthew's sister, 25-year-old Katie, is said to be struggling with the loss of her older brother. Mrs Bone of Waterlooville, near Portsmouth, said she has found it really difficult because they were quite close. She is struggling. When asked what she would say to Matthew if he saw the appeal, Mrs Bone said, I would say, please get in touch with a family friend or missing people. Just let us know that you are safe. Matthew is described as white, five foot seven inches, slim and with brown hair with blue and grey eyes. Anyone with information can contact Missing People anonymously by calling 116 or contact the police on 101. The owners of Homebase have refused to rule out the possibility of closing one of their Worcester stores. A local councillor has hinted in a tweet about the Home Improvement Store in St John's, hinting that it could be set to close. Councillor Richard Udall tweeted on Thursday, Homebase in St John's have just submitted a planning application removing a condition dating back to 1985 to allow for the occupation and trading on the site by another occupant. Could this be the end of Homebase in St John's? When it was built in 1985, the council placed a condition that only Homebase could occupy the site. Homebase has now applied to have that condition removed. It is not yet known whether the store in Hilton Road will close or not, or if another franchise will occupy the store. Among the applicant application documents is a document from the Highway Authority saying that it has reviewed the application in detail. The Highway Authority has no objection to the application. In the statement from Fiona Allen, Development Control Engineer, it says the Highway Authority has undertaken a robust, a robust assessment of the planning application. Based on the analysis of the information submitted and consultation responses from third parties, the Highway Authority concludes that the proposal would not be contrary to paragraph 109 NPPF and therefore there are no justifiable grounds on which an objection could be maintained. News emerged earlier this year that the DIY chain home base stores were struggling and in May it was sold and, and the Worcester one, one of the Worcester ones was sold to retail turnaround specialist Hilco Capital. In August, the owners were given the green light to press ahead with a wave of store closures that will see 42 DIY outlets shut, putting around 1,500 people's jobs at risk. 
the retailer is closing the stores via a company voluntary arrangement, a controversial insolvency procedure used by struggling firms to shut underperforming shops. Homebase was unavailable for comment. Two drug dealers who conspired to supply heroin and crack cocaine on the streets of Worcester have been jailed for their part in the large-scale operation. Dominic Alley, 28, and Cale Nelson, 23, were arrested in 2017 by officers from the Operation Blade team, which seeks to cut the supply of Class A drugs into Worcester from large cities in March 2018. Paul Whitfield, prosecutor, told Worcester County, sorry, Crown Court yesterday that this was a cuckoo case where a base was set up at the home of a third defendant, Eileen Pritchard, taking over the property to deal Class A drugs. He said police observed Nelson street dealing in Diglas and attempted to arrest him, but he escaped running to a nearby property at Donaldson Court, Prince's Drive. He said Nelson was struck by an unmarked police car outside and broke his arm when he fell to the floor. During this time, Ali shouted to police Nelson had done nothing wrong and when he became aggressive, he was arrested. In the Donaldson Court property, police found drugs and paraphernalia, including scales, and it, it emerged that Ali had tried to flush drugs away putting them into a washing machine. Mr Whitfield added mobile phones were later examined, which showed Ali and Nelson were linked, and there were messages sent to known drug dealers. Amy Parker's defending Ali said at the time of the offences he was in debt and was a drug user, so got involved in the conspiracy. She said he was serving time at HMP Hewell for another drug dealing case and was now drug free, wanting to change his ways for his family and his son. Alison Scott Jones, defending Nelson, called his father Dale to give evidence. He said his son had been working as a labourer for his scaffolding firm and was in a better place than when he had committed the offences. Mr Nelson added, his son had taken responsibility for his actions, moving in with his partner and child with another on the way. Mark Sheward, defending Pritchard, said... The 35-year-old mother fully accepted responsibility for her role. Judge Nicholas Cartwright said that the aggravating factors for both Ali and Nelson were that they knew the scale of the drug dealing operation. Nelson had used his car to drive the drugs into the city and that they had both involved Pritchard in the operation. He added, he added this all, all this means they played a significant role. Ali was given a three-and-a-half-year sentence added to the 11 years he's serving. Nelson of Creswell Crescent, Warsaw, was jailed for four years, while Pritchard was given a two-year community order. A village near Bromyard is putting on a heritage project to commemorate one of the earliest works of science fiction published in English, and there is a very local connection. Our Man in the Moon was published in 1638 by Francis Godwin, Bishop of Hereford and resident of Whitbourne, who must have spent some time gazing at the moon in his time and wondering how he might get there. But his was an age without spaceships and so in penning his remarkable tale he had to be especially inventive. The story tells how adventurer Domingo Gonzalez reaches the moon 
hauled by swans and what he finds there. July 2019 marks the 50th anniversary of the first moon landing and the charity Everybody Dance, also based in Whitbourne, plans to celebrate this with a community performance of Our Man in the Moon, an outdoor spectacular of aerial dance, live music, narration, lighting and projection. And the group has just won a £10,000 lottery project grant to fund the project. Ron James, chairman of Whitbourne Parish Council, said Bishop Godwin and his important work have been rather forgotten in the village and this move to revive interest is very welcome. The council is happy to support the project as it will with, without doubt benefit the whole community and provide a welcome focus of pride and celebration to the village. Resident Laura Roberts said the children are all very excited at the prospect of exploring the story and also doing some flying with everybody dance. It will be good to find out more about the history of the village through the fascinating tale. Whitbourne Community Shop is also supporting the project along with the Herefordshire Community Foundation, the Elmley Foundation and Susan Bulmer. Everybody Dance will be working for the next 12 months with a local historian, writer, dance practitioner and storyteller. And there's a contact number if you want to ring it on 01905 742 283. A drug user of Black Mamba was found lying unconscious on the ground in the city centre. The ambulance service received reports of two unconscious men at the cross in Worcester on Thursday, although both refused to be assessed by paramedics. Police officers were also called to the scene and were told that the incident was possibly drug-related. Bystanders said that the pair were under the influence of the former legal high, Black Mamba, also known as Spice. Chief Inspector Sean Kent from South Worcestershire's local policing team said our local safer neighbourhood teams are working hard to police the local areas. Any antisocial behaviour, including the use of drugs on the street, is addressed. To combat this behaviour, we issue written warnings to those persons engaged in this type of activity, advising them that they will be issued with Community Protection Notices, CPN if they fail to comply with the warning. Breach of a CPN is a criminal offence. For those convicted of breaching the CPN, we will apply for Criminal Behaviour Orders, CBO, which will prohibit persons from engaging in antisocial behaviour and criminal activity and will exclude them from problematic areas within the city. A breach of a CBO carries a sentence of imprisonment for up to five years. As well as enforcing the law, we are also looking at other ways to address the issue of drugs and antisocial behaviour within our community and are adopting a partnership approach by working closely with our partners who all play a significant role in our efforts to reduce drug use. We want the local community to work with us by reporting any suspicious activity to 101 or to Crime Stoppers on 0800 555 111. West Midlands Ambulance Service statistics showed a near-continuous rise in the number of Black Mamba cases in the first seven months of this year. A paramedic previously warned that the problem was growing in Worcester. 
The ambulance service was called to the cross at 6.05pm yesterday, with paramedics arriving at 6.09. Malvern Hills Food Bank is launching its Christmas appeal a little early this year, with the support of the Mayor, Cynthia Palmer. The Mayor visited the food bank to see how each donation is checked, dated, sorted and stored prior to distribution. She also met some of the volunteers and clients who were using the centre at the time. She said, My visit opened my eyes to the wonderful service it provides to needy families in Malvern. Every one of us could fall on hard times and then we would need food and household items to support our families. Please give generously to this appeal so that everyone can enjoy Christmas. As always, the food bank provides emergency donations for people in crisis and Christmas can be an extra difficult time for clients. Following last year's Christmas appeal, the trustees and volunteers were overwhelmed by the response and generosity of individuals, businesses and church groups, schools, families and children's groups. The only problem was making sure that all the wonderful donations were distributed in time for Christmas. Peter Buchanan, chair of the trustees, said the people of Malvern astounded us last Christmas with their kindness. At times we could barely move in the warehouse as donations kept arriving minute by minute. This year, knowing how hectic it was, we are encouraging people to send their donations in as soon as possible. This will allow us to make up the new up the many Christmas boxes that we provide as well as distribute all the essentials that our clients need. The collection points for donations include Waitrose, Littleton Well and the churches in Malvern and Upton on Seven. Residents on a new estate in Droitwich have been left in limbo after builders disappeared last week with rumours circulating that Permission Homes has washed its hands of the site. Sorry, Persimmons Homes. Mark Naylor, who moved onto the Yew Tree Hill development in December, said street lights, roads and houses have been left unfinished, including work on a death trap junction. The site is shared with Red Row and in total will include up to 765 homes, a 200-bed care home and a mixed-use local centre. This will be spread over land at the north of Pulley Lane, Newlands Road and Primsland Way and north of Newland Lane. Persimmon entered into a formal legal agreement with Witchhaven District Council in February stating no more than 90 properties could be occupied until Pulley Lane was widened and the A38 junction was improved. The developer then attempted to overturn this ruling on numerous occasions with the latest to allow 210 to be occupied, refused in July by WDC. However, a varying order now means it can have 188 properties occupied before the roadworks are completed and it's believed that limit has now been reached. Gary Williams, WDC's Head of Planning, has said while... Persimmons is unable to sell further houses at the site, it is not prevented from building more houses or completing the development. Mr Naylor, who lives on Hare Close, said the estate is a health hazard, with roads covered in potholes, many street lights not connected to the mains, and the dangerous A38 junction untouched. 
Persimmon promised the local residents before the build that they would sort it out, but they have gone against it and done nothing to improve the road and the dangerous junction, he told the Worcester News. A Persimmons South Midland spokeswoman said, regarding the legal requirement to get the improvement work finished so more homes could be occupied, said, we remain committed to rectifying this as soon as possible so work can continue on the build and the site can be completed. A city post office which has been shut for more than a year will not be reopening. The post office previously said it had temporarily closed the branch in Gresham Road, Dines Green, Worcester, for operational reasons. However, City Councillor Richard Oodle, who represents the area, now says the new tenant has decided against reopening the branch. Councillor Oodle said, The post office is seeking a replacement in Dines Green. I'm going to keep pressure on them to make sure they fulfil this promise. There are many services that have left Dines Green, pubs and other services. We can't afford to lose the post office. It's a place for local people to congregate together. Dines Green needs it and people want and require the services, anything from a passport application to details regarding your tax. Not everyone has computers. Councillor Oodle added that the post office does not expect to open its new branch before Christmas. He previously said that some residents, particularly the elderly, could not walk to the next post office in St John's. The councillor found out that the closed branch would not reopen in a letter he received from the post office on Wednesday. It stated, Regretfully, as the premises was no longer available for post office use, we had no other option but to close the branch. We would like to retain continuity of service for our customers, but at this stage we do not have the capacity to provide a service to Dines Green over the Christmas period. I do understand that customers will be concerned about the current closure of the branch, but we are committed to maintaining access to post office services in this part of Worcester and will restore service as soon as we can. Whilst we continue to work hard on finding a permanent solution, post office services can be accessed at the St John's Post Office branch. The post office apologised for the inconvenience relating to the closure and said it would, could not reveal all of the details due to contractual obligations to the postmaster. There has reportedly been a post office branch in Dines Green since the estate opened in the 1950s. The branch closed on September the 27th, 2017. See uk for the background on the post office saga. Plans for 16 micro-homes on an old car park were approved, despite strong objections from neighbours. The Icozy micro-homes, the first of which was trialled in Barbon and Worcester last year, will be built first and then lowered into the site of a former car park behind Cecil Road. More than 60 objections were made against the plan, citing parking issues, loss of privacy, inappropriate design and overdevelopment as reasons for approval to be refused. Residents in neighbouring Cecil Road would have their gardens cut to make way for the homes, leaving each house with around 11 metres of garden. Officers at the City Council said the micro-homes would not be tall enough and are sufficiently far away to not restrict light or disturb people in the garden. 
Five of the micro-homes would be for single people on the council's social housing list and the remaining 11 would be put on the market to rent. The prefabricated homes, which measure at 17.25 square metres, include a kitchen, bathroom and lounge area and would be arranged in a U-shape behind Cecil Road, part of which would be two storeys high. Beloved Asda checkout worker was surprised with the leaving party to mark his retirement. Local legend Roy Pennington, 72, celebrated his retirement with his Asda colleagues and customers and the Mayor of Worcester, Jabariyas, dropped in to show his respect. Roy from Worcester has touched many lives while working for Asda since it opened six and a half years ago. Originally, Roy was a porter, but he moved to a more customer-focused role at the checkouts to suit his bubbly personality. Roy was so popular that many customers chose to queue up at his till, despite others being free. Talking about his surprise party, Roy said, I could not believe the gratitude and outpouring from everyone. I'm overwhelmed with the amount of love I've received. My colleagues who were not due to work today have come in just to see me. Customers have especially come in as they knew it was my last day. Roy was nominated to be in the 2015 Asda Christmas advert after thousands of people entered to take part. Councillor Riaz said, Every time I shop at Asda, I always seek out and check if Roy is working. You can explain the world's problems to Roy. He would always be smiling and offer a practical and happy solution. After a 10-minute therapy session with him, you feel the world is a better place. Everyone who uses this store gets accustomed to his friendly smile, warm welcome and humorous jokes at the checkout. John Horsley of Asda said, Roy is the perfect example of what every business desires. Adam Munger, Asda's community champion, added, Everyone in town knows Roy. He has got time for everyone. Spine-tingling tales of creepy characters from one of Worcester's oldest buildings will be offering a spooky half-term treat for brave visitors to the commandery. As well as hearing about the building's colourful 1,000-year history, visitors can take on a gruesome ghost hunt and follow a trail to save the commandery from gunpowder plotters. Plucky children are invited to the Grade 1 listing building to demonstrate their spying skills by completing a series of challenges and activities within the creepy hours at 11am or 2pm each day during half-term. Older children will enjoy macabre tales of hauntings by characters from the past. Ghost tours will take place twice a day to hear about how the Duke of Hamilton's mortal remains were buried under the floorboards and monks who have heard chanting at midnight. Visitors can find out more about the activities on offer at museumsworcestershire.org.uk. And that brings us nearly to the end of uh, this week. Lighting up time is 17.53 to 7.51. We wish a very happy birthday to Janet Whitcomb and Eileen Wheelwright on the 31st of October. I wonder if they're twins. Um, Emergency phone number for out-of-hours medical assistance from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. on 03001233211. And the NHS number for non-emergency help is 111. Morrowind Theatres, telephone number 01684 892277. 
Worcester Live on 611429 covers the Swan and Huntington Hall. Worcester Hub numbers for council matters is 765765 or 722233. Crime Stoppers telephone number 0800 555 111. Our telephone number is 01905 767766. And our address is 11 Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR5 1DA. Our website address is www.worcestershiretalkingnews.org.uk on which you can find all the recordings for the weekly news and monthly magazines and much, much more. We greatly value your feedback, likes or dislikes or changes you may like made. Just let us know either by phone or put a note into your envelopes. We'd love to hear from you all. So that's all from us tonight. Good night.